Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. How great would it be if Be Real went off right now and we could see who all has bought into the hype? We're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Brennan, the teacher pastor. Thanks for watching online. For those of you watching online on the live stream right now, for those of you in person, we're glad that you're here as well. We're finishing off a series today. It's a four-part series on work and life. Uh, the topic uh, being the integration of those two things called More Than a Living. If you've missed any of the f- three talks leading up to this one, it's been a long conversation on that integration. And uh, you can go to eastlaketricities.com slash talks, or we have an app you can download in the app store and catch up if you want. Um, so I want to start off today a little differently. I'm not going to like recap where we've been. You're, you're smart enough to go figure that out. Um, I would like to share a story uh, that comes from the Old Testament uh, to kick things off today. It's found in the book of Isaiah. It's about one of the kings. It also takes place in the uh, first and second kings kind of story. So you can, you know, maybe you've seen it there or heard of it there. But uh, this is Isaiah chapter 38, one through six. And here's what it says. In those days, Hezekiah became ill. Hezekiah was a king, one of the kings, right? They had a series of good kings, bad kings. Hezekiah tended to be one of the good ones. Became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover, which is hilarious bedside manners, right? I mean, like imagine if you invited me to the hospital to come like pray with your mom who's about to, you know, who's really sick and I showed up and like, I have a word from the Lord for you. Like, oh, good, thank you. I'm like, you're going to die. You'd be like, you need to leave, right? That would be uh, how that would work. It would not be great. Um, and yet that's what he does here. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. I've done a lot of good things, and I'm just praying that you would remember that. And he wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, go back and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David says. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. That's like that's like the goal, right? Like we pray and like God changes his mind or whatever. I mean, and we, we've seen this kind of show up in scripture a couple of times. This is, called, this is a, um, a thing that... Uh, it, it, it like God has this idea. Here's what I want to do. And then apparently somehow uh, Abraham can be like, I know you want to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but what if I found like 50 people who like loved you, right? Would you still destroy the city? Well, if I did that, and then he negotiates with God. Apparently according like to their I- idea of the God of Israel, God is someone who can be negotiated with, convinced to th- do otherwise than what he intended to do, or allows us to think that he could be changed or whatever, right? There's a lot of different ways you could take that. But in this story, He says, don't forget me, God. And God says, listen, I will add 15 years to your life. So apparently prayer works in that that way. And verse uh, six says, and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city, which brings then uh, two different things happening uh, here, two different timelines or two different uh, events. One is uh, physical health or the decline of physical health. And the other is uh, Israel found itself situated, situated geographically kind of in the center 
of a couple of different world superpowers, Babylon in the east, Egypt in the south, and Assyria in the north. That's not where you want to be is in the middle of kind of all of these people because what happens is uh, in an effort to get closer to be able to position themselves well against other nations, you find your land constantly be take, being taken over, which is exactly what the Old Testament is all about. Um, and here's what we know historically uh, is that the nation of Israel had sort of a, uh, they had 12 tribes that would come in out of the Exodus from Egypt. They take all of their different areas, 10 of them set up camp in the north, two of them in the south. Um, you've got Israel in the north, Judah in the south, two different kingdoms now. The kingdom of Israel has now split. Uh, the king of Assyria in 722 BC, we know this from archaeological, this is not just biblical stuff, this is, this is fact fact, um, came in and took out the northern kingdom, which the southern kingdom goes, Good. They were not really faithful to Yahweh anyways, and they probably deserved everything that they got. Uh, and then that king begins to make his way south in towards Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. Uh, and in 705, uh, sets up a siege or lays siege to the city. King Sennacherib uh, lays siege to the city of Jerusalem. And he has done this before. This has been a pattern for them uh, in their way of expanding their kingdom and, and making it more accessible to be able to fight Egypt or you know pilfer off resources from all of these different nations. Instead of going into a battle and losing men, uh, they just say, we're going to like siege your city and uh, uh, no, nobody gets in, nobody gets out. Eventually you'll run out of food or water and you'll give up or die or whatever. Uh, and so they do this and we, we know this is happening. And the reason we know this is because Sennacherib writes about it himself. If you go to the Met Museum in New York City, there's an exhibit on there about Judaism and all this. And here's uh, like this tablet that it's called the Annals of Sennacherib. This is his way of, of bringing somebody who had the ability to kind of write in their language and say, write good things about me. And here's, here's what took place during the reign of Sennacherib. Here's, here's all the different countries and nations that we conquered along the way. They even had drawings and pictures that they would say, here's what it looks like to lay siege. And I know you can't probably make it out in this, but this was uh, them laying siege to the city of Laetius. And this is how it worked. We, you know, This is how we celebrate. This is how we write down historically what took place in this. So this is what we know that regardless of the biblical record and be like, well, that's just biblical history. This is history history. This is what happened. These nations are fighting uh, in this area and we know that it, it took place uh, in the Northern stuff. Now, uh, what happens after this? So, so in this prophecy from Isaiah to uh, uh, to Hezekiah is not only am I going to heal you, I'm also going to protect you from this invading thing that's about to come. So don't worry about it. And uh, this, the biblical account says uh, that Hezekiah prayed and had the people, we know God promised me on my deathbed that he's going to protect us. He promised me, he promised me, if we will remain faithful, if we will remain true, uh, then he, he will protect us. And they said, an angel of the Lord went into the camp uh, of the Assyrians and killed off a bunch of them. And they found themselves outmanned now and decided to kind of pull off the siege and head on home and, and do something different. Um, obviously, uh, in the Assyrian history, their account is a little bit differently. Probably some sort of a, a sickness or a plague infiltrated the camp. They did have many people die. He mentions that in the in the secular history of this. Uh, and we decided to, you know, it wasn't that worth, it wasn't worth fighting over anyways. Who wants the land of Israel? And who wants Jerusalem anyways? We already extracted a bunch of money from them. We'll leave and we'll go fight the Babylonians in the east. And so this siege was real. It actually happened, this sort of thing. And then how you interpret what took place and why it took place is kind of up for uh, debate on this way. But 
Here's what we know after the fact. In Isaiah chapter 39, it records this. At that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, the other competing kingdom, not as big as Assyria, but sort of the up and coming. They're eventually gonna take over after the Assyrians leave. So you've got you know the strong number one and then kind of number two. Number two, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and recovery. Little get well card, little flowers, probably a balloon or two. Essentially saying, heard you were sick, glad you're better now but probably wanting to establish an alliance so that us two together would be a more formidable force against the Assyrians, uh, potentially. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in the storehouses, gave them a tour of the entire facility, holding nothing back. The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil. Yes, we paid off Sennacherib to some degree and paid tribute in that way, but he didn't know what we had hidden in the floorboards. He didn't know about this storehouse. He didn't know about this. We're still very wealthy. We're doing fine, thank you very much. His entire armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all of his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. And immediately as you read that, you realize, you know, if you've watched enough movies or read enough books, that is ominous foreshadowing for something that's about to go south. The author of this makes sure to mention there was nothing he did not show them. He was so proud of what he still had. It's not going to be a good indicator of what is to come. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and he asked, hey, what do those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your own descendants, some of your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And we know from secular history, we know from church history and all of this, in 586 BC, the Babylonian armies came in, they laid siege to Jerusalem again. This time it was successful. They carried back the best and the brightest of them into exile, into Babylon, uh, and left kind of the stragglers behind. And that's kind of where we find ourselves with the Old Testament. Why does the Old Testament exist? I think the Old Testament was pulled together in Babylon by a bunch of people trying to make sense of how did we end up here? If we were a chosen nation by God, who's supposed to be able to protect us from all of this, why are we here? And so they chronicle all of their ups and downs, the good and the bad. Here's when we were faithful. Here's when we are not faithful. Here's when we obeyed God. Here's when we stayed faithful to him. Here's when we kind of went the opposite way. And perhaps our, the reason that we find ourselves here is because we didn't get this right. And maybe perhaps God will reawaken his covenant relationship with us, pull us out of exile and allow us to return to Jerusalem to be the kind of nation that he wanted us to be. So in, in essence, the author of, uh, of Isaiah here is writing this story saying, perhaps we're here because stupid Hezekiah showed him all of the stuff, showed him all of the things, showed him all of the secrets of where we're at. He, he held nothing back to them. And this is kind of why we find ourselves here. And the message to Hezekiah is everything that's come before you, all of this success that you were set up for, all of the kings and the nations and everything, you've kind of let this all go to waste. And not only this, but your sons will become eunuchs in the king of Babylon, meaning you'll have no descendants after this. That was like their big thing is to have your name live on in memory by people who are you know, yours and born from your offspring. So like your future is bleak. It's nothing, there's nothing to go off of from this point. Listen to his response to this this prophecy from Isaiah, who's already prophesied once 
And he had the wherewithal to humble himself and ask in prayer that God would change his mind about things. Listen to the contrast between that response and how he responds here. The word of the Lord you've spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. On the surface, it seems like he seems to be saying that Isaiah, you know, I accept the word of the Lord. It must be good. It's God's will. It's kind of like that thing when you've had friends who are like a little bit more spiritual than you and uh, like have had bad things happen to them. And, and you've been like, how, how are you dealing with this? And they're like, I don't know. It's just, I prayed about it and I have a, like a sense of peace about it. Like I still feel like God's in control and I feel like either healing's coming now or, you know, eventually someday healing or, or he's got a purpose in this or a reason behind this or I don't know, all that kind of stuff. And you go, my goodness. That is so, you're so much, you're so much better than I am. Like I, that's, that's amazing that you have that kind of a faith, right? Uh, and and that, that's the kind of appearance externally that he has. If this is the Lord's will, this is, it's good. And somehow he'll work this to his fruition. But then the author gives us insight into what's actually happening in his brain and in his thought life. And what is that? Well, at least in my lifetime, things are going to be good. Who cares what comes after me? I'll be good. And that is an insight into kind of one of the more selfish sort of things. That is, a, that is then uh, their way of saying, how did we get here? How do we find ourselves in exile? Because we were led by leaders who felt like this was okay, that this was an acceptable way to do their job. It's fine for me. I don't care. It's not going to be, it's not my kingdom. Like I, in my lifetime, things are going to be fine. What comes after me, who cares? I don't know if you've ever worked in food industry before, but that was my first job growing up. And uh, I was a busser at Doubletree Hotel in Pasco. It's now the red line right there off road, like, yeah, road 20 or whatever, right off the freeway. And uh, that restaurant was open 24 hours. And so at closing time, the next person who was taking your shift would show up an hour before. You'd both be there for about an hour. So you had, I had closing responsibilities that I would have to get done because the person showing up is like, is here. And they're like, you can't leave until all of the... ketchups are cleaned up or all the dishes are done or all this is done. So I just got used to like doing my closing duties, right? And then I went and worked at a restaurant that closed and I had the closing shift and we would be able to lock the doors and walk away and set the alarm and I wouldn't be there. I didn't have to work the morning shift or the lunch shift the next day. It was just me. And I realized in that moment, the temptation, and I, the reason I realized the temptation is because I had worked that afternoon shift before and somebody before me had had a huge mess, closed the door, set the alarm, walked away and thought, it's not me working tomorrow. It's not me. It's not my mess to clean up. At least in my shift, things were good, right? And you, you realize there is a level of like jerkishness. I don't know what the right word is there. There's a, there's a thing in all of us that regardless of kind of where we've come from and what we believe about the big things of life and religion and blah, 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 blah we can look at that and be like, it, but this is like a universally deplorable thing person, right? Like that's a real jerk. We can all agree. That's not the way you want to do things. That's a very selfish endeavor. That's only thinking of yourself. That's not really thinking about what comes beyond. And, and maybe, maybe it wasn't like, uh, maybe it wasn't a, a business, a work thing for you, but have you ever um, like lived in a house and, and or, or uh, you, you've bought a house per, perhaps from somebody who before, there's like, there were some problems. You knew there were gonna be some problems like when you bought the house, but you didn't realize the extent at which the problems had been swept under the rug or something had been painted over or like they 
fix the air conditioning just enough to like get it to work until the sale went through. And then all of a sudden afterwards, everything starts making noises. And you're like, what did I buy? What did I buy? And somebody lived with a, well, it's not gonna break while I live here, right? And, and there's a certain, there's a, there's a depth there. There's an, a grossness. There's a like, come on, be a good human. Don't live in that way. Nobody signs up for that. Nobody does that in, in their work. Or maybe, maybe you bought a business, right? Imagine buying a business, knowing that there'd be some hiccups, knowing that there'd be a few things behind the paperwork that if you dug down, but then all of a sudden you got in and it is a bigger mess than you thought. It is a giant mess. It is such a giant mess. There are lawsuits that you, there are things that so far, like it seems like the only plausible thing to do at this point is to just shut the business down. And you think to yourself, how un you don't think to yourself how unlucky I was. You think, what a jerk. What kind of a person would live like this? Well, I'm not gonna work here for much longer. What kind of a person entering into retirement isn't happy to pass something off and watch it go on to kind of, we all say, I wanna, I wanna pass this thing off someday and watch it go on to future bigger and better things. I want, like for me personally, I want whoever pastors this church next to feel like they were set up with success. That Brent, you know, oh, he left this and it was going this way. I don't want them to come in and find a mess. How, how, how much of a jerk would be? Well, you know, it's, it's terrible. The finances are in, in maximum jeopardy. It's, it's crazy, but you know what? It was good when I let it right? That's lame. That's super dumb. Nobody signs up to think like that. We know that. So when we see this, and, and the author is kind of writing about how this just is how sometimes we operate as human beings, or this is a temptation to think in, in like our human nature. How do you arrive there? Because I don't think it's a switch. I don't think anybody signs up for a job thinking, I can't wait to drive this into the ground after I leave. We all want to leave a positive legacy, but it doesn't always work out that way. There is and there exists in us an opportunity to walk away from something and think, well, at least in my lifetime, there was security and, and, and all this kind of good stuff and financial prosperity. At least when I was doing this, it was fine. When we owned that house, it was great. Worked enough for us to be able to do this. How does this happen? How does one, how does one end up there? Because I don't think you, I don't think it's just like that's in us. I think we get there. And like, like all kind of major poor ethical decisions, like you, you, when you read about people who, I don't know, evaded taxes for so long and it comes back and bites them, you, you, you read about their stuff, the Bernie Madoff scandal that hit a few years ago. How, how, does, how does one engage in a pyramid scheme like that? He didn't go into finance thinking, I can't wait to rip a bunch of people off for billions of dollars. When you interview, when you, when you hear the tapes of the interviews afterwards, he's like, it just was like, one poor decision here and then a bad decision to kind of cover up that one. And then I got to do one more thing. And I found myself just, I, I, one decision bad led to another. One bad decision led to another. It's a series of poor ethical decisions. So how does one end up in that spot where we, like King Hezekiah might say, well, at least not in my lifetime. I think there's a lot of different things that could come up. I think general dis dissatisfaction with our work. I think a failure to understand proper stewardship and, and uh, of our responsibilities, failure to have dominion in our workplace. We covered that in week one. Um, a, a feeling of, of uh, insufficient payment for our services. Like we just don't feel like we're paid enough or whether that's real or fake. But I think one particular insidious temptation, because I could go a bunch of different ways here. And I think this is a factor, not the factor, but a factor uh, that I think is, but I think it's really pertinent for us. And I think it's relic, because what does what this story in, in Isaiah have to do with you? What does this have to do with me, Brent? Well, it has to do with us in that we would never sign up for that, but we can find ourselves ending up there if we're not careful, if we're not aware of smaller decisions that can lead us in that way. So one particular insidious temptation 
that I would love to leave you with today. And it's one simple thing to go off into your Monday job or Tuesday or whatever it is that you work and whatever it is that you do. To beware of artificial progress. Beware of artificial progress. Brent, what do you want to close? You have four, you know, you've had four weeks to talk about work. This is your last chance to say anything relevant and meaningful for until next year or two years from now when we do another series on work. All right, here it is. Beware artificial progress, guys. And this is true whether you're a high school student trying to manage a homework workload. This is true of a, of a college person trying to kind of get that degree and figure out the, the next steps with this. This is good if you're newly employed, freshly employed. This is good if you have employees. This is good in all kinds of different seasons and, and, and all kinds of different jobs. I don't care what it is that you do. Beware, and, and even things not related to work as we'll get to, but beware of artificial progress. Watch out for time and energy-consuming practices that sell you on progress, that feel like you're actually making progress, that sound good, but aren't actually moving anything along. It looks good, it feels good, it sells. Like people, you say, this is what I'm doing, and they go, okay, they nod. They don't understand fully what it is that you do, but you just say, this is what I'm doing. And kind of intrinsically, maybe you know, it's a little bit of what we would call sideways energy, but we just engage in it anyways because it feels like work to us. Beware artificial progress. Now, video games are notorious for this. I'm not gonna go off on some sort of a diatribe about how many hours you spend playing Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto, even though there might be somebody sitting next to you who wishes that I would. Um, I'm not gonna do that, but uh, you, you see this a lot in sort of the uh, uh, video gaming industry. Artificial progress, how do we sell this? To, how, do we, how do we make people feel like I'm doing something good, right? Or I'm, I'm, I'm making progress in life and becoming a better version. So I'll pick on myself for a minute. Um, and uh, th there was something that took place about, I think it was like six or seven years ago. I was trying to do the math on it. I couldn't quite nail it out, but it was quite a while ago, far enough in the distance to be embarrassing, but not like, you know, whatever. Um, I attended a kid's birthday party, which is like, a, um, consumes most of our weekend. We have four kids our weekend is just birthday party to birthday party. That's how this whole thing works right now. I don't know if you were ever in that phase of, of parenting, but like we, we drop off one, we pick up another. It's, it's how it works. We have, a, we have a closet in our home that's just potential toys for potential kids because we just don't want to go every time. And so we're just like, go find a, What do you think Daniel would like? Go to the closet and find something that Daniel would like. And, uh, and so that's how it works. So uh, it was a birthday party, kid's birthday party. And we are, are there and we're, you know, talking with uh, other people who were there, a friend of a friend, didn't really know him, but um, it was probably January or February because I remember the topic of they had just come back from Las Vegas. And I said, oh, I go to Las Vegas every year with some college buddies of mine for March Madness. We go watch the big games on the big screens down there. Uh, and so um, I, I mentioned that and they go, oh, you've got to check this out. And they pulled out their phone. And they opened up an app and it was like a gaming app and it was like a slot machine, sort of fake slot machine thing where you earn these coins thing. And they go, you can play this game. It's totally free to download, free to play. And you can earn real life prizes. Immediately my antenna goes up, right? I'm like, real life prizes? They're like, yes, we, bought, we got this. We played, we got a buy one, get one free uh, for a, a buffet at the Aria, which, you know, I mean, come on guys, this is why you go to Vegas is to eat the buffet food, right? And so I'm 
like, like the wheels start turning in my brain. I know that there's a lot of different motivation factors for a lot of people. You're motivated by a lot of different things. Food coupons is one of those things for me, okay? If you've ever been, we've gone out to lunch together, it's not a surprise for me to be like, you know, when you say, hey, where do you wanna go? I'll be like, let me go check the coupons. We'll see what I got, right? Uh, I know some of you, you get those like coupon sheets in the mail and you're like, who actually uses these things? The answer is standing right before you. So instead of throwing them away, bring them to church. There's blue bins at the top of the ramp. Just drop them in. I'll make good use of them at the end. Anyways, so I hear this and the wheels start turning in my brain. I'm like, buffets, Vegas, I'm already going anyways. This is a no-brainer. So I download this thing. I start playing and I am crushing it. I found myself to be an excellent fake slots player, well above average as far as I could tell. Uh, And I found out uh, in the course of the thing that... um, and they mentioned this too, but it, it's not coins. It was like emeralds or something else. It was like not, like they, you get a ton of coins, but that's not what you need. You, what you need are these other things that are a little bit harder to come by. Um, so I found myself flush with coins, but emeralds are tough. The key to getting them was consistency and volume. You need to log in every day. You know how this works. You, it, progress, right? This artificial progress. If you log in every day, we're gonna give you some bonus stuff and you just volume, just keep, if you can press it. So I found myself in, all, in a lot of dead time, right? When you're, when you're waiting for, I don't know the, the, the food to come, or you're waiting for this, or you're, you know you're not. You just find yourself in dead time, uh, pulling this thing out and playing this stupid little game. I knew that my runway was short. I was leaving for Vegas in like a uh, like a month, and so I didn't have a lot of time. So I had to kind of, kind of capitalize on this. So my most focused time was in bed, rolled over to the left after Kylie is asleep. That's when I could really make it rain, you guys. That's when it was, it got aggressive. It was amazing. If I hit a jackpot and couldn't contain the moment, she would roll over, take out her earplugs because it had gotten to that point and say to herself, are you seriously still playing this game? And I know at this point, you are so proud of your pastor right now. You're like, that's my guy right there. See, that's why we come to this church is right there. Um, and her, her eye roll, I wish I could bring her up here and be like, would you just do it on command? Just show them. Because you, you know what that looks like because you've seen it before. Listen, the reality is if, if, this, if you're an artificial progress kind of person, this is like right up your alley and you just get hyped about things, right? And, and, and you get into something and you just can't stop doing it. And it's just like, I'm going to do this. I'm, I feel like I'm winning. I'm, I'm, babe, I'm winning. You know what I'm winning right here? No one who loves, here's what I found out. No one who loves you and cares about your long-term well-being will ever be genuinely impressed with your artificial progress because they care about you too much, right? They care about your real progress. They don't care about your artificial progress because it's just out of his energy. So I care about your well-being too much. She didn't use it in those words. Her words were much more contrite and small and quick and piercing and purple. But um, the message is still the same in that way. So fast forward, eventually I get enough emeralds, I get the coupon, I scored whatever. Uh, and somehow now my next goal is I've got to convince five other dudes who typically are were committed to eating as cheaply as possible in Vegas to be able to go to this expensive buffet. But don't worry, guys, I have a coupon. Then the next question fairly is, how did you get the coupon? And me going, I don't want to tell you. And uh, them saying, okay, um, may, and how, you know, wh- how did you get that? And I said, maybe I'll tell you in a sermon someday or something like that. So um, here's how the tale ends. The tale ends, we go to the Aria buffet, six of us, uh, we eat. It was fantastic. It was unbelievable. I mean, you should definitely go someday. Uh, the bill comes, I, I apply the coupon. It takes off one buffet. Uh, and what we do is we split the bill five or no, we split the bill six ways. So essentially what I got off was one sixth of a buffet, which if you do the math per hour invested into this app is very disappointing <laughs> and not impressive at all. 
And so therefore, and Kylie graciously has never brought it up again. And so that's, but in that moment, like I'm reminded uh, artificial progress as I'm playing, I'm feeling productive. As I'm watching the Emerald stack up, I'm doing, I'm doing something. Yeah, but you're not though, right? Like, you know that, right? I mean, she's trying to be so nice, but that's just not really what you want to be doing. Like, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for being, you know, fiscally responsible, I guess. I don't know. Just eat somewhere different. But artificial progress, beware of it. It can suck away your time, energy, and it's fine. And it's a stupid game, and right? And your video games are your thing or whatever, your hobby, it's, it's just a thing. It's an outlet. I, I understand. I get it. it whatever. But the reality is that most of, our, our, most of the artificial progress that we're tempted to when it comes to our work is a whole lot less obvious, right? Though those are silly and that's easy to spot and be like, I know it's pointless, but it's my thing. The problem is the ones that you don't spot as sideways energy, the one that you don't spot as artificial progress that you actually think is progress. And when it comes to your workplace, you think, I'm doing good things. What did you do today? Well, I got a lot of stuff done. Well, what was it? Well, then you start talking about it and you realize, I mean, I don't know if that really helps me get to the spot. So, so my question would be this, just thinking about it through the framework of what you do with a majority of your time, which I'm guessing is, is work for many of you, maybe not all of you, but a, a large group of us. Do you have any time or energy consuming practices that, you're, that are selling you on progress in your workplace that aren't actually moving things along? Got anything? I mean, we're busy, but it's not moving us towards any meaningful goals. We're just kind of doing stuff. And they just keep paying us. So like, you know, what does it hurt? What's the harm in all of it? Uh, Paul wrote a letter about something like this in a different direction, but I think it applies. Um, in the book of Colossians, which is really a letter um, that he wrote to a church that he had kind of pastored and served as an external advisor for and uh, writes this letter in uh is going to talk about spirituality and talk about sideways energy when it comes to spirituality. He's like, hey, listen, everybody's going to have an opinion on what it takes to connect to the divine, right? Um, you, you live in, the, he would say that, you live in a culture uh, with a lot of people who go, well, this is what works for me, or this is how I reach out to the logos or the God that's out there, or all kinds of different deities or whatever. Um, connect with the bigger picture, right? And he's, he's going to say, listen, um, you know that it's going to consist of some level of self-denial, of, of a denial of self, uh, but watch out. Here, here's what he goes on. Therefore, do not let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. It's hitting in a broad spectrum here. There's, a lot of it, in, it incorporates food and free time and leisure and what, what people do with this and how they go, I'm connecting to the divine through this, right? These, verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All of these things, all of these avenues for like personal discovery and, and whatever is our shadows because what we really have in fullness is in Christ. This is his statement. This is why, you know, he calls himself a Christian. I am a Christian, not just a spiritual person. I think that Christ has the biggest and most clearest picture of what God is like and what he's calling me to and what his way of doing things is the best way to kind of live this thing out. And he says, listen, people are gonna come up with all kinds of artificial progress ideas in this area, things that sound like progress. Oh, I don't eat that. I don't do this. I, I don't wear that. I don't smoke that. I don't do this or I do smoke that or I do wear this or I do whatever. He's like, Listen, all it's fine, it's all it's all whatever. But listen, there is a temptation for artificial progress to engage in those things. Verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom 
they look like really smart ideas. They look like they're gonna like help you, right? With their self-imposed worship, a denial of stuff. I don't eat that out of, out of religious obligations. Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. We just think any sort of discipline is always a good thing for us. We live such out of discipline that any, anybody who has discipline, we just feel like that's just genuinely, you know, at, or at, at its base, uh, a benefit for us. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, He's like in the spiritual realm and in the way of you know, progressing your spirituality, beware of artificial progress in this. Don't waste your time you know, engaging in things that seem like they're gonna be good things, but they actually don't do anything in restraining sensual indulgence. These look, sound, and feel important, but ultimately they're worthless. It's artificial progress. Don't fall for it. And I think in the same way, we translate that over into our workplace sort of thing. And we go, all right, if that can happen in our spiritual life, can also happen in our work life too. We can engage in things that feel like progress, but at the heart of it, they're not really good at restraining us from doing what we want to do. Like we just, we, we know it's leading us down a road we want to find ourselves doing. How would we ever end up at the end of our time of employment and find ourselves saying and looking at a bleak future for whatever comes after us and say, well, at least there's peace and security in my life. Again, how do we end up in that spot where we'd say, at least there's peace and security in my lifetime? It doesn't happen one day. That's not, that's not like, so that's not a switch. That's a result of a bunch of decisions. And a lot of the decisions leading up that, one of those factors could be you've spent so much time pursuing sideways energy. And if it's, it, you know, what's the harm in this? It's just a game. I understand. You lose a day, whatever. You lose a, a, a month. You know, you do this for a month, whatever. It doesn't matter. A year, it doesn't matter. 10 years, now it starts to begin to add up. And how does somebody end up in this? Because we've engaged, we've been so obsessed with sideways energy that year and year after year build upon itself. And all of a sudden we find ourselves going, I've never really done anything to kind of be, uh, have make any real progress. You would say you could almost classify your entire career as sort of meaningless sideways energy, something dumb jobs that meet, that are just rubber stamping or duct taping things or whatever. It just, it doesn't make any, and so, so then if you had a whole lifetime to look back on that, if that's been, if that's been characteristic of a lot of your career, then it's easy to find yourself in the spot where we'll go, ah, who cares? At least I got paid. I got paid for it. I got a pretty decent retirement out of it. I got, I, I can get out. At least there was peace and security in my lifetime. Feel bad for the person who has to come after this and clean up this mess. That's one of the factors that gets us to that spot is because we're, we lack an awareness of artificial progress. We engage in it. We think it's actually moving things along for us. We think we're actually being productive. We go home and are prideful of this kind of stuff. And he's like, don't fall for that, man. It's not a sin. It's just stupid. It's just a dumb waste of your time. And if you do that long enough, you could potentially wake up one day and like Hezekiah, think to yourself, well, at least progress, at least safety and security in my lifetime. At least I'll be good. Feel bad for the next person or whatever. It can happen in our work life. Paul says it can happen in our spiritual life. And we would do well to be aware of artificial progress in both areas. May we instead fight for what is right, good, and true about our work. May we live into and up to our calling to establish dominion in our work. That's what we talked about in week one. If you didn't listen to that one, like having dominion, not just working at a place, but having dominion over it, right? May we be co-creators with our heavenly father in realizing in bits and pieces now, but fully someday, the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. God is absolutely interested in you and I integrating our faith 
with our work. And it shows up on a lot of different levels. And may this week we be inspired to look and go, listen, God, I don't want things to happen by accident. I want to be intentional. I want to be in control. I want to have dominion over my work. So help me be aware of artificial progress and don't waste my time doing that. Not because it's a sin, because it's stupid. It's just not where I want to end up. And I don't want to risk waking up one day and thinking to myself and justifying it fully within my own being in my own human nature, well, at least for me, things didn't go south when I, it was under my control. At least I was fine, right? That's dumb. We don't want to do that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. May we live instead a little bit differently. May we make more than a living in that way. All right. That's going to conclude our conversation on uh, this piece. Uh, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. Uh, they're going to lead us in one last song. We're going to take uh, communion together. We do this at the end of every series. Um, it's a way of kind of reflecting holistically on, on this whole thing, as well as the integration of that with the death of Christ. Jesus, in his last few moments with his disciples, took him into an upper meal, uh, upper room and shared a, a last meal or a final meal with them uh, and said, listen, something's about to take place. Um, you're never going to have to wonder where you stand with your heavenly Father. Father, he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. So do this meal in remembrance of me. And the church ever since has set aside time, sometimes weekly. Maybe you grew up in a church that did this weekly. We do it at the conclusion of every series. It's just up to whatever church wants. Um, and uh, it's going to have uh, some juice uh, and, and a little wafer. Um, Jesus broke the bread with his disciples and, and poured the wine and said, this is my body and this is my blood that has been shed for you. So uh, we do it together in communion with one another. And we do it in anticipation of something more to come. That uh, Jesus spoke highly of this and saying, oh, we'll do this again uh, someday in, in a, in a more perfect place. So um, they're going to lead us in one last song. I'm going to have you stand in just a second. Uh, and uh, at any point during the song, you're invited, but no obligation to slip out of your seat, come to the front, grab one of those, head back to your chair uh, and consume at your own discretion. I'll be coming up at the end doing a formal, uh, formal closure. But would you stand? I'm going to pray for us and we'll go on. Father, our prayer is uh, that our beliefs and what we believe about you would somehow filter its way into how we do our work. Um, and in this way, may we be intentional about our time. May we steward the opportunity that we have with our talents and our abilities and the limited uh, time that we have to kind of contribute in a meaningful way to making uh, the lives of others better. And uh, we pray that that would be reflected in our work, in our motivation for our work, and that we'd be aware of artificial progress and uh, instead uh, seek something a little bit more meaningful. May, may even in our spiritual life that that be true uh, for us as Paul is writing to these guys going, don't fall for that. Find it in Christ. Find the clarity there. It's the clearest picture that we have of what you're like. So thank you for that. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. And we uh, participate in communion to remind ourselves of this tangibly uh, and tacitly in, in the form of receiving communion together. So be with us in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.